I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about Batman, a Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> with fans and people, people who. Hello, welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Fish Nunchucks, because regular nunchucks just aren't stinky and fishy enough. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you found us on iTunes through that wonderful front page feature, welcome! If you like the show, please rate us and leave a comment in iTunes. It really helps out a lot. Also, if you want to donate to the show, you can do so over at BTASpodcast.com. Any bit helps keep this podcast alive and running. Okay, moving on. I've got a great show for you guys today, and we are talking all about fan-favorite villainous Harley Quinn in perhaps the most overtly comedic episode of the series. Don't believe me? I'm not sure who you are or if you even exist, but I'm going to use this as an excuse to play one of my favorite clips. I am the master of fear, the lord of despair, cower before me in witless terror. Hi, Professor Crane. Good evening, child. Worship me, fools! Worship me! Scream hosannas of anguish to Scarecrow, the all-terrible god of fear! I think he's getting better. Seriously, that exchange would be right at home in the Venture Brothers. Later on, I'll sit down with Paul Dini, the creator of Harley himself, but first I chat with Powerpuff Girls character designer Cheyenne Curtis. So how's about we cartwheel into... Today's episode, Harley's Holiday. After Harley Quinn is declared legally sane, she leaves Arkham Asylum to begin her new, very normal life. It doesn't last long after a misunderstanding leads to Harley donning the old jester tights again and snowballs into stealing Bruce Wayne's car, kidnapping his girlfriend, and getting chased by the police, gangsters, and the military in a tank. Original air date, October 15th, 1994. Directed by Kevin Altieri, written by Paul Dini, with music by Lolita Ritmanis, with animation by Dong Yang. Featuring guest voices Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn, Henry Pollock II as the Scarecrow, Mary Lou Henner as Veronica Vreeland, and Dick Miller as low-level gangster with goofy underwear, Boxy Bennett. Today's fan. Cheyenne Curtis. Cheyenne and I had actually never met before we sat down for this interview, so it was pretty awesome to sit down with her and talk Harley Quinn. She's a big fan, which you will soon hear. Uh, She's also an artist and character designer who currently works on Cartoon Network's Powerpuff Girls reboot and has contributed to Disney's Star vs. the Forces of Evil. I think you can find a lot of her art on her Twitter or her Instagram, but before you do that, or hey, while you're doing that, listen to this interview. 
did you get involved with Powerpuff Girls? Uh, I was working at DreamWorks TV and I saw that they were looking for designers and stuff because they were just ramping up. And the show I was on got canceled. I met with the two EPs on Powerpuff and I did the test and they liked my work and I hopped on. And yeah, it was, I was like almost crying. I was freaking out when they told me, they're like, oh yeah, you, you totally got it. Because I was a huge Powerpuff Girl fan. Oh, yeah. I imagine we're, like, roughly the same age. Uh, so, I don't know. Just looking at you, I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm 40. Oh, so. wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm 52. Oh, well, great. Yeah. Pretty much the same age. Well, cool. Why don't we dive into it? Uh, I'm sitting down with Cheyenne Curtis. We're sitting next to a figurine of Harley Quinn. Yeah, if I can drudge up an action figure to bring to the record, I always do. A real tease. Yeah, but it's here. I yeah. promise. It's, it's right. It's really cool. Only you could see it. If only you could see it. If only this audio form didn't prohibit you from enjoying Harley Quinn's face. What's your experience with Batman the Animated Series? Um, well, when it was on TV, I was a little young, but I always really, it was really enjoyed seeing it because it was so dark and spooky and serious, and um, I was always, I was always drawn to it. And then, uh, and plus the style is just amazing and then later on when I was getting like more and more into Batman and the comics um I was just re-watching a lot of the the see like the uh, the series and just the the characters are amazing and yeah it had a really Bruce Tim had a really big influence on me like just the way he draws women <laughs> it's just really yeah appealing. what is it about the way he draws women that you liked um I don't know I mean he definitely does do like the classic you know like uh, hourglass figure shape but he just uses very simple um li- uh, like very simple lines to say a lot you know for like their legs and their faces and they're really expressive and beautiful and that was just always something I was drawn to with drawing women was just like how to capture them in the simplest form mm-hmm. um so yeah so I I still love the series and the all of Bruce Tim's comics <laughs> that he does sometimes. What does a character designer do, I guess, for people who don't have any idea of how like the animation industry works? Um, hmm. Well, for TV, it's a little different. Usually uh, a board artist is going to start um, doing a board, and they'll come to me and they'll be like, hey, so we need uh, uh, this is like this new villain. Can you just do some sketches of what he might look like so we can kind of use that for our board uh, and I'll do that and, you know, we'll talk with the writers and kind of get this idea of what this bad guy would be. And then when we're actually doing an episode, we'll get the board back and I'll, we'll look through the whole board and we'll pick out like special lighting that hits the characters or different costume changes and we'll do rotations and background characters. So, and then if like keep them, if a character gets like splashed with water, we kind of have to do that if the like hair see gets what wet. the color is going to look like yeah. the design how it changes yeah or... exactly and if the hair gets wet like what's the hair look like wet and a lot more than just you know roughly drawing a cool character it's a lot of like little things that mm-hmm. i don't sometimes people don't realize a lot of like rim lighting what is rim light <laughs> it's like uh if like a character is like has a special lighting on them they're next to like a, a volcano and it erupts they'll have like crazy lighting so we have to do that oh, okay. as a character designer um 
which is also it's it's kind of fun <laughs> yeah that seems like so much more i just kind of was like well you know you just sit there and you draw a bunch of different options for a character and somebody picks one and then uh-huh it's that's that it. too <laughs> that's that's the fun part <laughs> yeah the, the brainstorming session yeah that yeah i love that um also drawing cute little dresses like since i worked on two fairly like two girl oriented shows so i get to like on star i got to do a ton of like princesses and different costume changes and i love that stuff what are your influences growing up like what cartoons did you love or what animation or uh-huh. i guess I don't know, comics <laughs> influenced your sensibility well actually i was born in canada so i'm from montreal so we didn't get like nickelodeon and disney channel so we would kind of i would see it more sparsely like we'd have rugrats and stuff like that mm-hmm. but we'd also have a lot of canadian cartoons and like cartoons from france that are super weird like what <laughs> uh there's like yvonne of the yukon and pippi Longstockings and just weird stuff so i grew up with that plus the bigger shows uh-huh. but it was only later when we got like illegal american satellite that i was like ah oh, nickelodeon channel so cool yeah some like kids are like go to like porn and you were like illegal nickelodeon <laughs> yeah shows. it was so taboo yeah i was like oh it's, it was like amazing because <laughs> i got to see like the premiere of spongebob and stuff which only aired like way later in canada and that's awesome yeah so that all that was i mean having the kind of the weirder like canadian european cartoons was like a cool influence also well let's dive into yeah. harley's holiday so this is the one of the episodes you requested you wanted to talk mm-hmm. about harley quinn yes. uh, why do you like harley quinn i've always been drawn to a character because she's so like in love with the joker and uh so something about there's something really unique about like a villain like that that uh, and i read mad love which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite like Harley Quinn and Joker comics of all time because it really explains that. I mean, I know there's tons of versions of like the Harley Joker love where some he's more loving and some that he's just like, I don't give a shit about you. Yeah. Um, so this one was interesting to kind of see how she fell in love with him and uh, their relationship. So that was really interesting to me with her character. She's bad, but she's could be good sometimes and she's really complicated. Yeah, she has a sweetness to her. Like she does. she's like weirdly <laughs> even though she is kind of sociopathic. <laughs> yeah. She like seems like a good person. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, just her like obsession with the Joker is something like like horrible but sweet about it that I really like. Mhm. Um actually I have a tattoo. Uh, Harley Quinn tattoo. Really? I do, yeah. This <laughs> and is... here it is. If only you all could oh, see you it. Oh, you pulled it off can. your body and you're just holding it. <laughs> no, it's the three diamonds. So it's like... Oh, cool. Yeah, so if people don't know Harley Quinn, it just kind of looks like three diamonds. But if you know it, it's like, oh, You're like, shit. that's immediately... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what she has. So yeah. when did you get that tattoo? Oh, my God. Like two years ago or three years ago? Was it a sober tattoo or a drunk tattoo? Uh, <laughs> it, it was. I was definitely going through... A lot. Okay. And it was my first tattoo ever, so I was just like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do this, and this is just happening. I mean, I'm not saying like oh, I'm just like Harley Quinn because she's crazy, but there's just a lot of similarities that like I feel like I could relate to in some ways. Yeah. So I like that it's a little more subtle, and I, I kind of forget I have it. And I'm like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I got those three diamonds. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the episode. Yeah, let's do that. So definitely some things I noticed about this episode that are. A little weird, a little weirder than usual. But yeah, it starts out with like Bruce Wayne and Veronica together, which is always interesting. And um... yeah, Veronica Vreeland, 
the the worst the worst woman in Gotham to date. <laughs> yeah, apparently, like all the villains always like want revenge on her, yeah. and her dad's just like. Well, she's like, not really oh. the kindest human being. <laughs> no, but she definitely her and Harley kind of had their moments yeah. in this episode. Um, but it just it seemed like Bruce Wayne just did not care at all about the safety of Veronica, and really actually cared more about Harley Quinn in this episode, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Um, and then the actual relationship between Harley and Batman has always just been like a topic of discussion where it's like she helps him out sometimes, but then she doesn't. And Yeah, it's just kind of got like a Catwoman thing going mm-hmm. on, but it feels different. Yeah, uh, something this episode also, there's she, she doesn't really talk about the Joker at all, mm-hmm. and she's kind of like macking on Batman and macking on, uh, what was like that? Boxy? Gangster. Boxy, yeah. yeah. And... She was, like, usually in episodes, she's like, oh, I miss Mr. J or whatever. But for for this one, she's kind of just, like, over it. You know, she's like, I'm moving on. You yeah. Know, I'm a real girl now who doesn't need the Joker. Which is cool. It's always it fun to see Harley on her own. I mean, this episode mm-hmm. is, I think, the only Harley episode without the Joker, period. Yeah, and it's cool to see her, like, with her blonde hair. And she's kind of, like, wearing her own clothes and... um and she's like, you know, she's, it's funny because she, she's pretty insecure in this episode too, you mm-hmm. know, where she's like, oh, I'm kind of dressed like, like a, well, she's like a geek or a nerd, but she looks yeah. like super hot. Or like, what are you talking about? Yeah. When about? she said that, I was like, wait, like you're dressed in, like, yeah, very like just provocative hot. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I'm a geek. Wasn't she like rollerblading down uh-huh. the street with the bare midriff blowing bubbles? Like, Yeah. Like, she's super cute. Um, it's also, it was something that I found really funny was, you know, she's like, I mean, it must have taken so long for her to get that certificate to be like, you're not crazy. And then it's she snapped, like, so easily. So quickly. <laughs> She's like, no, you're, like, I want to get the dress and you think I'm stealing it? That's it. Like, you guys pushed me too far. And it was immediately. Yeah, yeah, it literally was, like, she got out, she went shopping, and that was it. And I love that she, like somehow had her whole costume and makeup on her, too, like, I guess in her bag. Just immediately to pull out. Yeah, like, just in case, I'm just going to have this with me. It or... almost feels like a security blanket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for her, Like, she's more comfortable in that than she is as, like, a normal person. It does seem like that, yeah, because, like, there's other episodes where she's like, let me change to something more comfortable, and she'll, like, cartwheel out in that, like, outfit. Yeah. <laughs> that was really interesting to me or or just the fact that you know batman would run after her and care so much about you know her well-being too just being like look like like i believe in you i think you could do this yeah i think we like harley because batman cares about her too yeah like he Mm -hmm. sometimes he doesn't always care about them like you don't see batman trying to rehabilitate poison ivy no that's true he's like you know what let's throw her in jail but with harley he's like no there's something there (laughs) like i can help you (laughs) with with Poison Ivy, it's more just like, oh, you're just a man-hater. Forget it. (laughs) No hope for you. (laughs) I want to dig into something that you said, uh, which I had never thought about. It was really interesting. uh, Is that Bruce cares more about Harley than he does uh, Veronica. Yeah. Which is so much like, that's really interesting because it's like, oh, clearly because he feels more comfortable as Batman and the people he cares about more are the villains than like Veronica, which is just like a facade. It seems like, yeah, like, his Bruce Wayne persona is just like, all right, like, let's go shopping, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as, like, you know, he sees Harley, it's just, like, you know, he's very focused on her. He's like, go wait out by the car, Veronica, yeah. I'll be back. Like, and she's cool just, like, date. waiting, looking at her. <laughs> yeah. And then even later, when they get into this, like, crazy car crash, 
um, Veronica, like, she's in Robin's arms, and Batman's like, yeah, I'm gonna go, bye. Like, he doesn't really even seem to care. <laughs> that yeah, she, she definitely feels it. like a weird object. Like, she's yeah. a, uh, like a, like a piece of, like, an accessory for Bruce Wayne to appear like a normal person. Exactly. But, you, yeah, you're right. He seems like his Batman persona, which is, like, his true self, would care more about Harley. Yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's really cool to see Harley deep down, um, you know, wanting to be good. Like, she doesn't want Veronica to get hurt, you know? She, mm-hmm. she like, apologizes to her, and she actually... It seems like Harley, with these episodes, really, like, she bonds more with women than she does with men. Yeah. Which is really nice to see. Like, even with her and I, like, Ivy, she doesn't want Ivy to get hurt and stuff. So it's, it's definitely a sweet side of her personality that I really like. Instead yeah. Of being, like, you know, like, I don't care. Like, you all you... Bitches get <laughs> Yeah, it's not like cat fighty. It's like she's like, no, let's be pe-. like. The, she almost feel like mm-hmm. feels like she's endearing herself to Veronica, and Veronica's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm along for the ride with this madman or mad woman. But uh, Harley is just like, yeah, this is fine. Sorry, this had to happen. Yeah, <laughs> this sorry, way. I took your car. And like, don't worry, I'll protect you. And then Veronica doesn't really throw her under the bus either in the end, which is nice. Do you um, feel like that's a thing that happens a lot in television or in animation, where it's just like pitting women against each other? <laughs> Definitely with villains, it's just like, she's bad, and everything about her is bad, and she has no other aspects of her personality except mm-hmm. she's bad, you know? I and mean, then, like, they just don't feel like real people, whereas this, you know, she, Harley and Ivy and these women feel like they have other aspects of their personality, they have sympathy, and they, you know, which is really nice to see in a villain. Yeah, because you care about them. Yeah, and you And there's do. like a little bit of motivation for when, you know, when they, why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Obviously the Joker isn't somebody you're really going to sympathize with ever. <laughs> uh, but because Harley exists, you kind of do a little bit by yeah. proxy. I think with Joker, I'm, I don't think you want to ever, mm-hmm. you know, sympathize with him like at any point. Because <laughs> like he's just pure evil. But with some of these other villains, it's nice to see, you know, like their, their sweet side or... Mm-hmm. I feel like the only time that I ever commiserated or like felt bad for the Joker was in Mad Love mm-hmm. when he tells that story about his dad when he's like opening up to Harley and then it's a lie. Yeah, like who knows? Yeah, like maybe one of them's real, maybe it's right. not. You just never know with him. And yeah, he treats Harley so badly. Oh, it's horribly. But even, um, yeah, like watching other episodes with Harley, like she definitely says a lot of things like, oh, he's so abusive i don't know if he loves me or not like she never really knows Mm -mm. so this episode is kind of nice just to see her being like i'm gonna you know try and live my life without him and um i mean she's interested in bruce wayne a little bit (laughs) in the beginning Mm -hmm. where she's like oh he's not married you know like she wants to move on which is kind of cool which almost makes it so much more sad that like she can't She's just haplessly, like, it's almost like everything's out of control for her, and she just kind of stumbles into it accidentally, and it's, like, so hard to watch. Yeah. As a kid, I remember watching the episode and thinking it took so much more time for her to, like, turn into Harley Quinn, and like Mm. you said, it was, like, almost immediately. Like, (laughs) she really jumps the gun on it. I know, I almost kind of wish it was, like, 
one more thing, you uh-huh. know, like just one more to push her over the edge. Because when she has her big speech at the end, you're like, oh, it was kind of your fault. Like yeah. nothing really happened. But <laughs> <laughs> like it would be nice if, you know, like we can kind of just see her really trying to get through life in uh, in Gotham as a good guy. I feel like if they had a little bit more time. Because yeah. that speech at the end is a really great speech. It's cool because I feel like it's a really funny episode. Like it mm-hmm. is played more for laughs most of the time. But that final fight is kind of brutal. Yeah. Like she's mm-hmm. not pulling punches. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's yeah, it's true. Um, and then we have to talk about the Harley Batman kiss at the end. Yeah, which... <laughs> so let's dig in. <laughs> <laughs> which is like cuz yeah, she he gets her the dress which is pretty amazing like he didn't need to do that you know to be like i understand you know you're trying to be good and here's that really cute dressing like that's really nice thing of batman to do for a villain and i don't know if he's ever been that sympathetic to other villains as much as that's it's like a very small thing that's like it's it's more of a human thing and i think that's why it's like an interesting thing to see because i feel like a lot of the time like he'll go out of his way to secretly get like you know, a guy who robbed the Wayne Foundation, a job as a security guard at the yeah. Wayne Foundation. Like, he'll do it distantly. But this is Batman. He picked out the dress that she liked, <laughs> which is, like, very weird to see him holding a dress. Like a cute little pink dress. <laughs> yeah, you know in Arkham. <laughs> yeah, right? You know what's interesting that I just kind of thought of is she only saw him with the dress at the store as him as Bruce Wayne. And now as Batman, he's like, hey, remember this? <laughs> like, wouldn't she be like, wait a minute? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> Uh-oh, I just totally, like, ruined this episode. <laughs> he really added himself as Batman pretty easily. Yeah, well, she almost figures it out. And then she's like, wait, you look familiar. And, like, covers his eyes. And then later it's, like, blatantly, he's like, by the way, I'm Bruce Wayne and Batman. Here's the dress. Here's the dress, by the way. You think she'd be like, wait. <laughs> Let me put two and two together. <laughs> The, I really like to imagine that he went into that store as Batman to buy a dress. Yeah. Like, I want to see Batman going through, like, clothing racks and, like, be- picking out the size that he thinks Harley Quinn is. I know. Having it, like, gift-wrapped. And, yeah, that'd be, he's like, he has, like, a mean face. He's just, like, grumpy about it. Yeah, would you like a gift receipt, sir? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> she just, she, you know, gives him a peck on the cheek. And then she's like, ooh, oh, my goodness. That was nice. And then they... They make, like, they, she kisses him for a good, like, five seconds. Or it's like, an intense kiss. Yeah, and it just, like, holds on it. And he doesn't push her away. He doesn't, he's not like, whoa, whoa. He just kind of, like, takes it. <laughs> yeah. It, it all, it seems like it would be the worst kiss for her because he's just, like, very yeah. still. I don't know if they could animate, like, fully, like, <laughs> yeah. making out. It's just, it gets, like, way too rated R. Just really graphic immediately <laughs> over the credits as they start to roll. Yeah, like, oh my god. Um, Robin backs off just kind of slowly. You know, yeah, it's funny, because Robin's there, and Poison Ivy's there, too. Just and she, of, Poison like, Ivy shoots her a look, right? And there's, yeah, like, a little she's joke. Like, what are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, and, and Ivy kind of smiles, but I feel like Ivy would have been maybe not so happy about that. Or maybe she would. I don't know, she probably finds it funny. Because <laughs> she hates the Joker. Yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, it's just uh, anybody who ever thought of like, hey, like let's do like a Harley Batman fanfic or fan art romance. Like it would, this episode is the one to like spark that. Oh yeah, I mean you just cut that up and you have your slash fiction right there. Yeah, or like an animated music video with like music slowly zooming in and yeah. on the same one clip over and over again. <laughs> well, it almost feels it's like a mix between like a Looney Tunes, like almost like a Bugs Bunny kiss. And, like, kind of a sexy kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a weird 
cross between the two. It is. Well, the first one is. It's very, it's like, mwah. And then oh, yeah. she, when she kisses Boxy, too, it's very, like, whatever. It's nothing. But the second one, you're like, oh, does she, does she have feelings for him? I mean, I'm sure people don't do nice things for her very often yeah. at all. And so someone being like, hey, here's, like, the dress you wanted it means a lot to her. I think that's what Hopefully. I like about this Batman. I, I, I don't know if I'd like thought about it until you brought it up, but the animated series Batman does go out of his way to be kind yeah. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and I think like, you know, we, we now view Batman as this kind of like stoic, heartless guy who, you know, maybe mm-hmm. is a nice dude, but it's buried beneath a lot of issues. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he's like almost a machine. Yeah. That's like uh, his shtick. But it, it really is like there's like a kindness to him that I feel like is unlike any other version of him. And it's still not hokey. Yeah. He's just a good, like that's him being a good dude. Yeah, he's, just, <laughs> yeah, he's like joking with her like, don't push your luck. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, okay, let's go Robin. Yeah. Uh, what <clears throat> happened? <laughs> and even at the end when he's trying to talk to her and be like, look, like I've had bad days too and... You know, it's uh, it's nice to see him try and reason with the bad guys instead of just being like, you're evil, and like taking them down and putting them in Arkham. Yeah. Which was, yeah, it's it's really silly, but it has heart. It has heart and depth. Hartley Quinn <laughs> is what they should call her. No. No? Well, I wrote Bruce Tim and he did not respond at all, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep bugging him. I have, uh, when I went to Comic-Con two years ago, like, to get a drawing from him, there's, like, a huge long list, and it's, like, this whole ordeal, but he was kind of done, and I was like, oh, it's really nice to meet you. I don't have any paper, but could you sign my Comic-Con badge? Hmm. <laughs> and he signed, he put, like, a little grumpy Batman on it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really cute. So I have, I still have the badge. He gave me a little grumpy Batman on a, I went to the Egyptian retrospective of the animated series, like, when I was in college. Uh-huh. And I went to college out in Los Angeles, and I snuck away from an improv practice. Uh, and I was like, ah, I have something to do. Yeah, <laughs> and it's I just really went important. alone. <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> important for me to go there. But they showed like the I think like the Tim Curry version of the Joker footage, oh. like before they cast Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. And then he was there and he just he drew a little Batman in my Batman book. Oh. Which is cool. Sweet. Yeah, but like framed? Uh, no, it's just in the book. <laughs> just in the book, on a bookshelf. Yeah, it's it's random. It's, you know, you could just take it out and be like, hey, impress everybody at a party. What do you think of Harley nowadays? So, like, how oh. her depiction in, like, Suicide Squad or, you know, those Arkham games. I'm definitely torn, because I do love that she's becoming so popular. And mm-hmm. when I go to, like, Comic-Con and stuff, there's so many people cosplayed as her. And it's really cool. Um... There are some versions I definitely don't like as much. Uh, I mean, the Suicide Squad one, it's, it's, it's fun. It's cute. You know, like, it's definitely updated. There's ones where she's so overly sexual. And usually, like, I get it. It's comic books and stuff. Like, it's fine to have them all sexy. But it's just, like, a corset and then, like, underwear. You know what I mean? Where it's, like, I don't know if that's totally... I, I get that she's like... It's not a like, costume. I don't know. It, de- it definitely doesn't feel totally... Because I do love the animated series costume. Uh, I think it's still like really cute and sexy. But it's... Yeah, she's like a jester. She's like a clown. Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn clown. And she matches the Joker. And then now, like some of the video game stuff, it just seems like she's just like... Just like a hot girl just wearing like sexy... Color, like clo- You know what I mean? It doesn't like have as much meaning. And she's not funny 
to me. At least in like in the video games and like some of the stuff. I think in the comics they still keep her pretty funny, Mm -hmm. or at least like a comedian. She's pretty shticky. But like, I feel like it's like hot girl who's like insane. Yeah, she's a sociopath. Like she's like they make her like more murderous, which they do. I, I don't like as much. <laughs> it's definitely less silly because in the anime series, like she's you know like hopping around and doing cartwheels and she's saying silly things and and she'll you know sh- take a bazooka and shoot like a car of dudes and yeah. stuff, which is like crazy. But now, yeah, it's it's more on the scary side. It's more. Um, like sexy, scary, crazy. Uh, there's one thing that came out recently. It's like a segment where it's really creepy, actually. But she has this like family all tied up, and it's all in black and white. And she's just wearing like little white underwear and then a corset, and it's like the most revealing Harley I've ever seen in like an animated form. And I don't know. It just it, it just felt wrong. Like I don't know. I just didn't feel like Harley. She feel like what I like about her is that like there's a promise of something good in her, mm-hmm. uh, and that she is kind of like a bumbly goof. <laughs> yeah, she still feels human in a way. Uh, whereas these ones, like she's kind of has this like wide eyed, like huge grin, like the Joker, and she's just very. Her eyes are just like manic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which you know, I guess they have to keep like pushing her character, but. I definitely miss the the goofy side of her, too. I guess that's like, nowadays, any mm-hmm. superhero stuff seems to be skewed or pushed towards hyper-serious, gritty, cruel, like the Joker's cutting his face off in the comics right now. Oh my now. god, it's yeah, or he so did. scary. Yeah, or he did. Has someone back on? I don't mm-hmm. know, I'm not completely caught up, I just know, like, tidbits about it. <laughs> yeah, it's super scary. It's uh, terrifying. <laughs> and the, yeah, the drawings are, like, really graphic. Um, I, know, I think my favorite... One of my favorite Jokers is the Mad Love Joker, the way he's drawn. Because I know in the animated series, they did like a Mad Love uh, animated version of the comic, and the Joker's design is different. Right. Uh, he kind of has like just like the black eyes with the dot. Yeah, it was like kind of like a skull-ish face. Yeah, and it's cool. I like it. But in the Mad Love comic, the way he's drawn is just... He has this, like, like he's, you know, ugly. He has, like, the, the scary smile. But he's also, like, kind of attractive in a <laughs> weird way. Like, just he's very, he's drawn very appealing. Uh, more so than, I think, in lots of other stuff. But I like that version of him in those comics. Because you can kind of see why she's, like, oh, like, he's really cute. And, like, why she's attracted to him. Uh, not just because, you know, they're both psychopaths. But he's actually kind of like decently not decent looking but you know there's like something about him that's not just like oh my face is ripped off yeah exactly (laughs) there's something that like you can see like what she may have found attractive in him or you're just not terrified when you look at his face yeah yeah bruce definitely draws him like super appealing uh i love her so much it's it's hard to see her like well kind of void of that charm what uh, have you drawn Harley before? I have. I'm assuming if you love, like you draw and you also like this character, mm-hmm. uh, are there places that like people could find drawings of Harley, or is it more like just like sketches on? Um, yeah, I think I might. Um, I haven't updated my blog in a while, but on like Instagram or on Twitter, I definitely post stuff. Uh, I did like the Inktober last year, and I did like a whole page of these Harley drawings, kind of more in my style. Yeah. So like really cartoony. Were there any, like, direct influences on you from this show that you could see, like, in your art? Or, like, maybe lessons from it. Maybe they're, they're not, like, direct stylistic influences, but, like, a lesson from watching this show that you've carried over into your work now. I definitely like the way they draw 
men, you know, because I, I tend to draw women more because it's just more fun for me. But uh, there's definitely some, He's. I feel like he's such an appealing Batman design, you know, where like his cape and everything and and Catwoman looks amazing too. So I, I just even like looking at the comics because they're a little more stylized than the show. But just that simple way of drawing a character that you know, moves around a lot and they have to do like cartwheels and backflips and all this crazy stuff uh, and not having too much detail on them is really cool to see. So uh, taking those influence and like I was looking at the rotation, like the model sheets too and kind of like how they rotate the characters and they're so solid, you know, like with just a couple of lines like for the chest and like defining the back of the leg. It's just like two lines you know and it's it's so beautiful and then when they rotate it it just feels so solid and seeing them move around like animated wise it just I think it really showed me how to draw more simple and choose really confident lines I mean just drawing like cool Batmans (laughs) I like you know how how they have his like little mouth and then the little like eyes that kind of just like glow white and they have like so much expression yeah you know like he could like be sitting there and he could just like squint you know at, at like a character and you're like oh yeah i well, know what you're thinking i love the simplicity of his eyes i think yeah. it's so much uh-huh. better like i in any than any batman movie <laughs> yeah for sure like oh. seeing batman's eyes make him a little bit more human uh and he almost mm-hmm. has like the you know like when he they're just like kind of these white triangles mm-hmm. uh there's something like a little bit more removed but like it's like the right amount of like cartoony it is, or elasticity yeah. but it still doesn't feel like goofy silly I remember one of the most powerful drawings to me was in the Mad Love comic when um, Harley is crying over the Joker when Batman brings him back into Arkham and she's like sobbing as Arlene, uh, Harleen? Yeah, Harleen (laughs) Frizzell. What a coincidence. Um, She's like crying over him and he kind of like, he has these big circle white eyes and he has this like shocked look when he finds like, it's just two simple drawings of her crying over the Joker and him like looking at her and it just it expressed so much like this is the moment that he realizes oh there's something a little wrong with this psychiatrist or psychologist yeah. or something weird going on and yeah all he has is like these big circle white eyes in his mask and he has like kind of a you know like a little mouth and i was just like damn like it's so good did so much with so little yeah yeah instead of having like all these panels of him being like what is like it's just one drawing of of him realizing like huh something's not right here (laughs) that's what i like about bruce tim's comics uh or like the stuff he's done for comic books or there's like an elegant simplicity to it it's Mm -hmm. very direct yeah uh and and yeah i feel like he gets to the point with you know very minimal. Yeah, I do love the way he, he draws women. Because they do kind of all, I mean, they all look different. But there's definitely, when you see, like, Bruce Tim girls, you're like, oh, yeah, like, that's a Bruce Tim girl. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, Barbara looks kind of, like, close to, you know, like, Catwoman. Like, if they, you know, you put them all side by side, you could see there's, like, they're really close yeah. in design. which But it's something really appealing with that also, in a way, that I like for that kind of style, that comic book style. Yeah, I, well, I remember reading that he had a lot of trouble designing the women in the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. he brought in outside people to help, like, his Poison Ivy looked too masculine. 
he thought uh, <laughs> originally. And like, uh-huh. I think somebody, uh, another designer, I'm forgetting her name. She, I think she helped like help shape like how he designed the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like her and then I think Man Bat and Mr. Freeze also had other people help. Like Mike Mignola helped right. design Mr. Freeze, which is so awesome. cool. And makes sense when you look at that. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you love drawing heads in jars. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> of course. Like half men, half like machine. People. Yeah, and like very like throwback, like weird <laughs> kind of like steampunky looking machines. Yeah, it's funny with Poison Ivy because in the earlier episodes, um, she looks so different than she does later. Like she has, you know, human colored like yeah. skin and she has like this really retro face and like kind of bigger lips and she has like a very sec- um, kind of like Marilyn Monroe-ish mm-hmm. in a way. You know, she definitely has like a unique face and then like the newer episodes she has like the white skin and like she's so much less more... human yeah which you know there's aspects of both that i like because her as with human skin she definitely yeah it doesn't feel like she has power she kind of just feels like a yeah. girl just wearing like green mm-hmm. um like kind of in a peter pan costume yeah yeah <laughs> or tinkerbell or... yeah um but she, i feel like her like that face that she has that design is is really um it's really nice and like but some of that got lost in the later designs but yeah harley seems like she kind of stayed the same just got a little more like angular and, uh-huh. and stuff whereas and her eyes kind of like in the i was watching those episodes and like her eyes would keep kind of changing like I just get nitpicky with that stuff where I'm like, oh, their eyes look different in this scene compared to this scene. Yeah, what kind of stuff do you notice that you feel like other people who aren't, you know, designing characters or work in animation would not notice? Um, I mean, I don't know if I, like, specifically notice things that other people don't, but I definitely get a little OCD with... I mean, especially in the older series, you know, it's it's all hand-drawn, so there are scenes where characters just look 100% different. There's a lot of scenes. off-model stuff. Yeah, and there's something charming about it. Like, you could tell, like, oh, a different animator animated this because he mm-hmm. drew it differently, and, um, like, mouth shapes and the yeah, eyes changing. But uh, on Powerpuff Girls, we work with an overseas studio, and it's hand-drawn, and you just, it's, you know, when you draw it, you want it a certain way, and you send it off, and it comes back totally different and you're like oh my god <laughs> and you have such a short time and a small budget and you just kind of had to let things slide sometimes mm-hmm. so you know there are things that you see and you're like oh boy that harley looks really weird and you just <laughs> are like well or like sometimes like the colors will be wrong for like just a couple of frames and it'll flash back um there's a harley on the dvd set like mm-hmm. there's like one of the menus has her and she has like a very like pig nose like it's like <laughs> like stuck up a lot yeah <laughs> and it bothers me so much <laughs> like, why would you put this on the cover why is this on here <laughs> there's so much other art yeah we talked a little bit about this before what was your well like what was the first thing you thought like when you found out you were working on powerpuff girls like what was your reaction to it I fainted. Um, no, <laughs> I fainted, and I almost, I'm dead right now. And yeah, this. Yeah, I this is my first interview with a ghost, by the way. I know it's it's actually going pretty well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, the equipment's still functioning. Yeah, um, my reaction. It was, yeah, it was unreal because I was such a fan of the show when I was younger. Um, when we finally got our illegal American satellite mm-hmm. to watch some of those, like we got we got Cartoon Network, and that just like made my mind explode. Uh, so 
I would draw the girls so much. Mm. Uh, I have like, I actually brought it with me back from Canada, but I have these like sketchbooks just filled with Powerpuff Girl drawings and like weird like anime, but Powerpuff Girl style. And then I would like always draw myself as a Powerpuff Girl. It was <laughs> like, it was a lot. Uh, and that was like a big chunk of my childhood was that. And we would go to the U.S. Like we would drive to like Plattsburgh because <laughs> it's really close to Montreal yeah. and they'd have like FAO Schwartz and they'd have all these Powerpuff toys that would just didn't exist in Montreal and I would like I'd buy them and I'd have like the stickers and stuff so you know um getting a chance to work on the the reboot it's like terrifying because you know my heart is still has like this really nostalgic place with the original mm-hmm. but then it's also it's yeah, it like just adds like this whole other, I don't know, <laughs> like intenseness to the the fandom because I actually get to, you know, be a part of the history uh, in a way. I mean, it's so different from the original and like, you know, like Craig McCracken isn't on it and there's different voice actresses, but it's it's almost cool to take the people that grew up with it and see, like see it live on instead of just having it like, nope, it's dead, it's gone. But seeing how, you know, younger or like how people who grew up with it will like the places that they'll take it um yeah i mean it must be the coolest thing like if somebody (laughs) was like we're rebooting batman the animated series and i got to work on it i would be i would lose my mind (laughs) yeah Uh, it's it's a lot (laughs) and a lot of people when they announced it uh there's a lot of fans that were like oh my god like i can't believe i'm so happy and a lot of people who were like just tearing it apart uh, which was hard because I've never worked on a reboot before. Um, like the last show was Darren FC's original creation. So the fans are just a lot more supportive in that sense. Right. It's all new. Yeah. And like you could, it's, you know, you're creating everything new, whereas this is like the reboot. So fans just get so attached and, so, and like so emotional, especially with not having Craig on it. Fan like, the stuff that I was reading, I was like, oh my god, like people are like, they're gonna hate it, they're so mean. <laughs> but uh, hopefully it's not, hopefully the kids, the younger kids, you know, will really enjoy it who didn't grow up with the original Powerpuff. Yeah, and you grew up loving it, and you're putting <laughs> your all into it, you know, like, yeah. it's, it's going to, I don't know, it seems like it's gonna be like, enough of the same and different from it what is. I've heard. Yeah, like the girls look really the same we added like a couple little things but the girls you don't look at it and you're like wait what like (laughs) they look just like the original and even like the the bad guys and stuff have you know they feel like the original still got mojo jojo of course okay (laughs) yeah he's great yeah he's great and there's some new villains so with that we kind of got to you know take ownership and be like all right this is a new villain so let's you know let's go crazy with the design um but yeah, it's it's definitely been it's been an amazing experience. That's awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Today's guest, Paul Dini. Paul Dini is back for the third time. Yes, he still is the creator of Harley Quinn, and he's one of the best damn Batman writers you'll come across. From Batman the Animated Series to the comics to other Batman cartoons from the last couple decades. He also worked on everything from Tiny Toons to He-Man to Lost. You can hear him talk Baby Doll and Harley and Ivy in previous episodes of this podcast. But for now, it's time to talk Harley's Holiday. Hey 
guys. I'm sitting again with Paul Dini. You Truth. can't get rid of me. I can't get rid of you. <laughs> Kevin Smith kicked me out and I came over here. <laughs> yeah, you've been sleeping at Smith's place for uh, since the last Fat Man on Batman, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've been doing a little light housekeeping over there. Oh, that's and, nice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. Did some editing on uh, on yoga hosers. So, uh, <laughs> and then he kicked table you thing. out afterwards? <laughs> What's that? He kicked you out afterwards? No, he doesn't know I'm gone. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you for sneaking by. Yes. Uh, so we are here to talk Harley's Holiday. Yes. Another Harley Quinn episode. Uh, if you want to hear more about Paul talking Harley Quinn, you can listen to the Harley and Ivy episode. Or, mm. honestly, you talk about it a lot on Fat Man on Batman, and it's great. It's yeah. really in-depth. You you talk even more about it. But mm. uh, this episode is one of my favorites because I think it might be the outright most comedic episode, or at least one of them. Yeah. It, it's just a, it's a screwball chase. It's it feels comedy. like it's a mad, 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 mad. However many times you say "mad world," yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it was just a let's do let's focus on Harley. There's not you know the uh, you know it's basic. It's it's her episode. She just is out. She goes nuts, and it really sort of defines who she is in a lot of ways and her attitude toward the world of. I'm out having a good time and doing what I want, and uh, if you get in my way, that's too bad for you. Because uh, I'm, I'll run roughshod over you. But you know, then I'll be happy again. What and was the inspiration for it? I think we had just sort of grown fond of her, and we wanted, and and it just sort of appealed to me. Like, okay, let's come up with a solo episode for her, where she's just off. She just gets into trouble, and and let's just do a let's just do a Harley episode, one off, and. You know, at that point, I liked writing the character. She was a lot of fun to do, um, uh, to, to write for. The other directors just, you know, liked episodes with her in it. Kevin Altieri, you know, and Boyd Kirkland and Dan Reba, they all said, hey, I want a Harley episode too. So, And we had worked up kind of, I think at that point, we were well into the Batman and Robin episodes. And we were looking at episodes that sort of, Moved out of the usual crime or uh, control the world type scenarios and into areas that sort of fleshed out our characters a, a bit more. I think for all its grimness, uh, the later episode, um, Over the Edge, is all character based. Oh, you yeah, know, absolutely. It's, it's it's just character, character. And with Harley's Holiday, it was like, okay, Harley is a character that everybody likes. Let's do an episode about her and... Let's see what happens when she's a threat. She's not just, uh, you know, facilitating the Joker. She's actually the one causing trouble. And it's a little hard because she doesn't really want anything. She's, um, she can get by fine if she needs to steal something she can. But on the other hand, she doesn't want to become the richest person in town. She just sort of wants to get by and, and have fun and everything. And I think what was important for her in that episode was I, I'm out. I am sane. I actually have the cell at home of her showing her holding it up with the word sane stamped on it, which is a gag I, I think I stole from the Simpsons or something. And uh and uh as if it's that easy. But I want Gotham City, it is that easy, you know. Uh, yeah, truly, it's a revolving door. Arkham you, you killed a dozen people and you littered the town with giant question marks and exploding penguins, you're gonna do it again? No, I don't think so. Okay, sane, off you go. <laughs> we have a lot of people to process here. Um but it it, it also showed that you know, what was important to her? You know, she wanted to be taken seriously, which is something that is, you know, not that easy when you're, you know, skating down the street with a, a pair of hyenas. Blowing you know, bubbles. Bubble, <laughs> blowing bubble gum, wearing your little skater outfit. You know, it's like, 
it's hard to be taken seriously. But, uh, you know, the fact that she went into the, a place, paid for something or was going to and then got yeah, she did pay for the dress and then got, you know, people, you know, coming after her. It showed that she, you know, was maybe not ready to go out among people again. But It's so uh, hard to watch, too, because it's all just a circumstantial mistake that she reads into. Yeah. And you're rooting for her. You're like, no, don't do this. No, 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 no. Yeah. You're this close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, so when she has that fight with Batman at the end, there is some poignancy to it. You know, like, I don't, you know, nobody does take me seriously. I'm just trying to 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 do, to do the best I can for myself. And also, you know, at that point we had sort of you know, our 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 characters had become this little company kind of just, you know, to to you know, recurring characters in the show. It was fun featuring them again. It was fun to do a story with Bruce kind of out on a date with Veronica and she's trying to help him, you know, who picked your clothes out, Alfred? Uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he would go out with a girl like that, you know, even if it's not a big romance, you know, and and that's one more element that can get sucked into it. Oh, Harley needs a victim. Oh, of course. So she gets a socialite. Oh, of course, her dad is in the Pentagon or he's a big military guy. Of course, he's got a tank, you know, and it just escalates and escalates. And, it, you know, like you said, it's Mad Mad World. It's What's Up, Doc, the Barbara Streisand movie. It's all those things. And you can't really do that with the Joker or the Riddler, because they're not that sympathetic. You wouldn't really care. But Harley, you know, yeah, she's doing bad things. She's wrecking the town. Batman's got to go stop her. That takes him a little bit out of his realm as a, you know, a dark Avenger and more into the realm of traffic cop or, or like where Superman or Green Arrow would go with fighting a more, uh, I'd say, uh, a lighter villain. Uh, But still, he performs well in there. There's that nice little kiss at the end and my favorite moment is when poison ivy and robin look at each other and go like What's yeah they all that have about? a moment to each other They're like what all right yeah i saw it too yeah i i, I don't know man <laughs> and uh it, it's just uh it's fun i mean uh, again that was an episode where i got away with a lot there was one bit that i um that i regretted cutting that the uh the censors just thought it was too gruesome potentially too gruesome even though it was a joke is like when she's skating down the street with the hyenas she stops to talk to somebody or may, I forget where it was, or she's talking to Bruce Wayne in the, in the um, store or something. But anyway, she's talking about how responsible she is. And you see the hyenas go over to a baby carriage and they both <laughs> go to the baby carriage and, and one of them is in there and you see him obviously eating something. And, and then Harley goes, come on babies. And they go off and then the hyena pops up and he's got the baby bottle in his mouth. And then you just see the baby inside like, like, the baby's okay. He's just scared out of his mind. Oh, that's a great bit. It was a great bit, but they said, oh, it's too gruesome. To show the hyena just, like, eating the baby, you know, to imply that it's eating a baby. And I go, like, it's funny, but isn't in the it? the end, and the baby's okay. The baby's okay. <laughs> the baby's okay. And it's like, uh, no. So I, I miss that. I I like the hyenas. They were- um, yeah, where'd they come from? Just, I, I just thought he should have them. You know, I, I'll tell you, you know- um. When I was a kid, there was a Joker comic book series. It only re- lasted about nine issues. And on the cover of one of them, it had Joker taking a hyena out for a walk and the scarecrow was waiting to ambush them. And I thought, of course, a Joker would have a, you know, a hyena as a pet. Why not? And so when we did the animated series, I said, let's have give him a couple of hyenas. Let's, and, uh, you know, yes, they're vicious. Yes, you can't train them. And, you know, but he would he would have them. And, and Harley Harley trained them somehow. And, uh, um there's actually something I wrote recently that I can't really go into detail is that 
Harley at one point, before she became a psychiatrist, worked with animals. And so that kind of sets up that she might have been able, able to, to train them at least. Might have been able to train them, that she had a way with, uh, you know, she's a very understanding person, very loving. And so, you know, if there was anybody who was ever going to affection train a, a hyena cub, it was going to be Harley. So I love that also, like, she's kind of the only one who can control them. I mean, we didn't talk about this in Harley and Ivy, but I think when she leaves, the Joker cannot yeah. keep them yeah. docile. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's like Harley Harley feeds the hyenas. Harley does this. Harley does that. So I like them occasionally. You know, some writers don't like them. They've killed them off. They've had them stuffed and skinned and everything. But <laughs> they keep coming back, whether it's the same. T- they always call them Bud and Lou. And they're named after, obviously, Abbott and Costello. But they're the same ones or they get different ones. You know, they... Uh, they always sort of they always sort of show up. I just think that you know they you know they, it's a it's a fun thing to have. It's it's always just uh it adds one more level to to them that you know that it's it sort of their relationship is a parody of a um of a lo- loving couple to begin with, and so why not when they parody the uh, element of a family dog and especially it keeps the other henchmen in line if you can just shove them to the hyenas occasionally. Yeah, and where would Harley Quinn be without screaming babies? Babies, yeah. Babies! Uh, Bruce doesn't like him. He feels like, or he didn't at first, he felt like, uh, I don't draw animals very well. And it's like, no, this is ridiculous. They, they, they look awesome. I so. think they looked great. I mean, they, they almost great. had qualities similar to Man Bat. Yeah, like a little bit. They have bit. the eyes that are yeah. very similar. Yeah. They don't, they have, you know, they don't really have pupils in the eyes, you know, when we, we kind of revised them for the crypto show where we made them much more cartoony, but they look, they look scary. You know, they've got the upturned noses and the snarls and the, the no pupils in the eyes. So I think they, 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 they complement them as, uh, you know, pretty well. And they give Harley an edge. I guess we talked about how, like, you ended up giving her an edge with kind of like injecting her with the, yeah the poison or the toxin that mm-hmm. kind of buffered her. But I feel like her having these two vicious animals that will do anything for her yeah. is kind of like. I, I actually have seen in, in photos of in South Africa, I believe there are local gang lords who keep people in line with hyenas and, and they, they're on leashes and they, I think they're muzzled or something, but the implication is I can unleash this thing at any time on you. And I'm going like, somebody actually did that. You, you can't train these things or, you can't train them very well. But, no. Oh, well, it's, it's you know, but the it's the henchman rule or the, the villain rule. I can have anything, any deadly animal I can have because it serves my evil purpose. <laughs> is this the me. only episode where the Joker doesn't show up, but Harley Quinn is in it? believe so. I mean, he's not in, 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 in Holiday Nights. Oh, he's yeah. there, but he's not in that segment. They're in, in, in separate segments. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I believe so. That's that's fun. I mean, like the character finally grew to. It's like, hey, this is a standalone Harley episode. Yeah, and I think people were, you know, at the, at the time, I remember there was not really much in the way of the internet at the time. It was, certainly wasn't what it was now. You know, where you get instant critiques and everything. <laughs> I think people were okay with it. They said, okay, that's fine. And over time, they've they've come to like the episode quite a lot. Oh yeah, I think it's great. I mean, yeah. it's just such a different tone, but it's it's awesome. I mean. Also, like the title card itself is Harley out of costume. <laughs> oh yeah, it's that's a beautiful title card. Oh, it's so good. Boy, I forget who did that. I know. I think Eric Radomski did the finished on it, but I, who did? I think Dexter Smith did the design on that. I'm not really sure. That hat, that the, like everything. The hat, yeah. You know, it it looked like you know Linda Ronstadt on one of her '40s albums, you know, with the two dogs or something like that, or it had a, kind of a Gil Green quality where they've got the little, you know, the the pinup girl and her little dog and everything. It was uh, it was really really cute. I love that you play the scarecrow for comedy. 
Yeah. Uh, there's something so funny about seeing him at his most melodramatic and serious and yeah. then like you say something like, Oh, hello, child. Yeah. You know, he says something Hi, like, Dr. Crane. Oh, hello, child. How are you? <laughs> well, that's that's their attitude around, you know, they, they go to the break room or the, you know, mess hall or the therapy sessions together. I think that they, that in Arkham, that if they're not trying to kill each other on site, they they develop a little bit of a rapport. They all hate the same guy. Yeah. They all want to destroy the same city. That there is a little, and, and she's a psychiatrist too. So, I mean, I think that they have other things to talk about other than just, you know, their, their mania, you know, their mania that they do. There are moments when they talk to each other like, well, we're, you, know, you got a bunk together. So, you know, there's a little bit of that. And I think there's the other spectrum is there are guys who would just kill each other on site if they were in the same cell. But, you know, the, this is not one of those moments. Well, this feels like more than any other episode, very punchliney. Like this yeah. is so written for comedy. Like every like that, I, I just pulled up the lines, but yeah. you know, he's like, "Cower before me and witness in terror." Hi, Professor Crane. Good evening, child. <laughs> Worship me, you fools! <laughs> and then they take him away, and Robin's like, "I think he's getting better." Yeah, like, yeah, that's that, yeah. such a perfect joke yeah. progression. Yeah. Well, you know, the characters allow themselves for that. You know, Batman's work world is very. Uh, fluid and very acceptive of of certain things, and you can do the 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 Frank Miller story where they're the only the only laughs are when Batman breaks somebody's nose and he, Batman laughs about it. His nose broke, in I hit him hard. His nose broke. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, like that. Yeah. Uh, you know the grimness of it, or um, or you can do the lighter one, which is almost a a, a comedy. You there, I think the difference is the character. The characters, for what they are, are not lampooned. They're not demeaned or made fun. They're in a funny situation that allows their personality to, to come out. Yeah, you play them off of each other in the right way. Like, Batman is the perfect straight man for mm-hmm. any sort of comedy bit. Right, right. I remember when I was a kid, I was watching one of the old Batman episodes, and um, I don't exactly remember which episode it was, but I just remember there was... Batman is sort of kind of mind-controlled or he's susceptible to someone's it's a suggestion. And at some point, somebody asked him to sing a song and he sings some Gilbert and Sullivan song. And I remember watching that and I was going like, no, Batman does not sing. And he does not sing. I'm called Little Buttercup. No, <laughs> this does not happen. You are you're wrecking the guy. He will not. He would fight that that control and he would not sing anything, you know. Although I did have him sing in an episode, but yeah, you like, had him sing "Am I Blue" under. Well, a... <laughs> there was a reason for that. He was saving Wonder Woman's life. So, um, but uh, just to 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 do him like that is like a lampoon of what he is, and that's when I, as a kid, I lost all interest in the '60s show because he became a comedian. It was mocking what he was doing, and in Harley's Holiday, I think he's still out to save people and preserve the peace and get somebody potentially deadly off the streets. And you don't screw with that. You don't have him come over to her point of view. He stays who he is, and she stays who she is. And I think that for the twenty-two minutes, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a, I don't know what are the words I'm looking for? It's a suspension of disbelief that could evaporate at any moment, but it holds for twenty-two minutes. You're able to 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 buy it, as long as he doesn't do it every episode, and then the next, you know. Next episode is more, you know, diverse. But again, you know, Batman's world allows for that. And he is trying to get her the whole time. It just feels like she's outrunning everybody. I mean, the, she's so unpredictable that nobody can quite. Right, <laughs> like right. Her, her chaos is so, 
randomized, that there's no way that they can really predict what's going to happen because she can't predict what's going yeah, to happen. and that was the whole thing. We wanted it to snowball, you know, from go from Bruce Wayne to Batman to the gangsters she tries to ally oh, herself yeah. with to Veronica Bullock. to her dad. <laughs> Bullock. Everybody's, everybody's caught up in this big Harley snowball that's, you know, spinning out of control. And it culminates, I love that, like, that kind of uh, the sentence that everybody's finishing, like, I've got you now, you screwy little troublemaking <laughs> clown. Like, uh, yeah. it, it cut together so well at Built yeah. so wonderfully. It, yeah. Like yeah. a tank? I forgot that there was a tank in this episode. Yeah. She and was like, what are you doing? That's my father. No, that's your father in, in a, a tank. tank. Yes. Again, like what a great punchline. Like so fun and it still moved the action forward. Again, you know, that's an example. When I was writing that, it's just uh, the, her dialogue comes in those moments comes very easy to me. You yeah. can always figure out what she's going to say and, you know. Um, she she fights with fish at one she does. point, right? Like, I think Robin actually- Robin fights with the fish, He's yeah, the yeah. one, which, amazing that those fish didn't fall apart as he spun them. <laughs> I know. Well, Truly, but also worth it to see Robin slap people with fish. Yes. little homage to Monty Python and the fish slapping dance there. Ah, it's and, great. And, uh, yeah, and it put her in Times Square fighting, you know, with those huge, um, you know, neon signs and the big automated billboards and it's, everything like that. But that's also a brutal fight. Like yeah. the end of like the, everything's kind of whimsical, but that fight has like there's a lot of emotional. She's really sad. To it. You know, she tried to do something good, and nobody believes in her. It's hard to watch. All. Yeah, in a good way. I mean, yeah. she's like, I, I mean, even though it's funny, she's like, I'm sick of people trying to run me over and blow me up, or you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, but she's she really is like at the end of her rope. It's, yeah, she's had a bad day, and then she throws up on Batman's cape, and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm vomit is always a good way to go out. Oh my god! Maybe the only villain to throw up on Batman's cape in Batman history. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh boy, Alfred's got his work cut out from tonight. <laughs> yeah, oh God, Batman doesn't even take care god, of. God, Harley, what'd you eat? Uh, oh, some of that raw fish. Raw fish. Oh. I think she exists on a diet of candy apples and bubble gum. Yeah, she truly seems like a candy for dinner. Like, I'm a kid who's an adult and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, candy and donuts? Bring them on, yeah. I, I haven't had enough sugar today. <laughs> um, well, actually, I, I kind of wanted to ask you, what are your comedic influences? Since this is such a comedy episode, you've talked a lot about like Marx Brothers and Monty Python, Simpsons. Um, I really love, uh, you know, I, I have a, an affection for... You know, all the great comedians, I uh, I watched them all when I was a kid. I would go to revival houses and see uh, the Marx Brothers. This was before you could get stuff readily on video or DVD. And if you wanted to see an old movie, you had to go to like a revival house or um, wait for it to come on TV. There's like so so many limited, so you were limited by the, the channels, whereas now you can see anything anytime you want, uh, basically. So if there was like a Marx Brothers revival, I went to that. I went to see every new Woody Allen movie that that came out. Um, as a kid, I went, you know, took the subway into San Francisco and stood in, in line in the rain to see Sleeper because it just heard it was really funny and I had to see it. It's Woody Allen doing science fiction. Guys like that, you know, I, I listened to comedy records all the time. Um, either I bought them or I had them at, at home on the radio. Monty Python I adored. It just grew up with all that stuff. It was all, you know, it was all in my head all the time. And it just sort of fused with comic books and, and, and everything like that. As a kid, I read a lot, whether it was comedy or drama. You know, I read a lot of plays and, and things. And, um, uh, you know, I always think that the humor works very well in, in cartoons. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's built on gags. 
But a lot of times I'll read a script that's supposed to be a comedy script and, and there's just no laughs in it. Even though the characters are, are trading wise, wisecracks, they're like, well, you know, it's like, look, don't look now, but I think we've got a visitor. And there's a giant monster attacking the city. And it's like, well, let's get this party started. You know, they're light lines, but they're not funny. Yeah. And they're not coming out of anything, you know, that prompts it. I mean, there's a... In the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, for just for instance, there's a wonderful moment where they're talking about the jailbreak and about the plan they want to do and Rocket's talking to Star. They're all talking about it. And then you just see in the background, Groot just goes over and does it, which to me is a tremendous funny moment in a superhero uh, movie, you know, I guess it's a superhero movie, where, you know, the, you see the setup, the anticipation, you know what's going to happen. It just, it, it, it just, it just works on all, all these levels. And uh, Unfortunately, in a lot of action adventure uh, cartoons, there isn't that same quality of humor. You know, it's it's just not geared up for gags. It's geared up for action. Yeah, I wish there was because I feel like Guardians did it really well. Like, right. And I feel like, I don't know, I saw it with a bunch of comedians and we're all yeah. pretty like critical of comedy because yeah. it's what we do all the time. And we were laughing out loud throughout that movie and it was like oh man these are such good jokes and the story is still you know like yeah it didn't undercut the action or the stakes right right and and that's you know it's uh you know i can't say that writers in animation just don't do that naturally a lot of them do it but uh it's the needs of what the production company is okay we're looking for action comedy not comedy action that's really the way they break it up mm-hmm. so we need action with comedy but not comedy action. And you ask them to define that, and they'll say, well, we need a superhero show with some wisecracks, but then there's something that looks light, like Adventure Time, that has humor in it, but it's also drama and action. And it's like, can't you just, can't just a good show just be a good show? Do you have to pigeonhole it and then not do your job, you know, effectively either way? You know? Yeah. Although Adventure Time actually is very funny. But it's, um, it's like they're, uh, you know, they're... You know, a good show is a good show. And the the creative people, you know, working on it know that. And they bring a lot of themselves to it. And that was the same thing with Batman is that when there was humor, when there was comedy, the directors were encouraged to play that up. You know, we're not doing Looney Tunes necessarily, but look for that moments when it can be a little lighter, when the expressions can be a little more extreme, when you can get something out of a character that is not necessarily written but still sells the joke or sells the personality. Um there are, you know, Bruce is obviously very good at that. Um, all the directors were, were very good. Uh, Ronnie Del Carmen, who did a lot of our storyboards, is wonderful at it. And he had a tremendous flair for taking, especially um, uh, some of the female characters and doing a lot with them. I, I know in the very first Penguin episode, one of the first Penguin episodes we did, the, the one where he introduced the Veronica Vreeland character, he did a lot of the storyboarding on her and made her a very engaging character by the when she's dating penguin kind of as a joke her looks are very animated they're very extreme she's she becomes a very vibrant character reading the storyboard i was going like oh this is really funny and it's not that there's a gag or the dialogue is funny the emotions and reactions are there and that made me you know say hey you know this veronica character is kind of fun let's 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 have her in again um but uh and you know of course you know, Ronnie has gone on to, he co-directed um, Inside Out. And so oh, awesome. That, that movie is, and he's done a lot of terrific stuff at Pixar. So you can always see 
that emotion and that humor in his drawings. And even sometime in, in the movies, like I've, I've seen Inside Out twice now, I was going like, that's a Ronnie pose. That's a Ronnie expression. <laughs> that's that's hit, that's a Ronnie bit of business. And more often than not, I'm, I'm right. So, so you had people bringing a lot of what they loved and they knew really well to the show whether it was in the writing or the scripts or in the, in the posing and the storyboarding. And because we did so much of the show in the States initially, you know, with, with, uh, with, uh, with crews at different crews at Warner brothers, it did have, um, I think it had much more emotion and much more humor than a lot of the, uh, adventure shows at that time. Do you feel like that's why the show worked is that everybody was really bringing themselves to the show? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that Batman is one of those great characters or concepts or worlds or whatever it is that when a creative person is turned loose in it, everybody has a Batman story they want to do. Everybody has a, a maybe an origin story that they want to revisit or uh, something new with a character they want to do. They have a favorite villain. They want to, um, you know, explore different elements of Batman's personality or that world. I know that when we did uh, Mask of the Phantasm, Alan Burnett was very committed to, I want to do a romance story. It's got, you know, a good Batman story, especially for a movie is a good Bruce Wayne story. So, and we don't, we don't have the room to really do a romance story in the, in the show because when Bruce is shown out on a date, we all know it's like the date for the night or a girl in trouble or it's not going to last or she's going to blow up or be a plant or something like that. <laughs> um, but All it, of those things have happened. And all of those things have, <laughs> happened. have happened. They have happened. God, he married a plant. He did marry a plant. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Or it's a dream or something like that. you know. It's, and so he does not have much luck on the show. And he didn't have much luck in the movie either. But it was a chance to really get into his head and, to, and his heart also. And... Um, so everybody comes with a favorite uh, favorite Batman they want to do, and they bring that, and they bring that their their talent and their skills, whether it's writing or voicing or drawing, and uh, and and we were allowed to do that. It wasn't like um, okay, we're doing a Batman that's very rigid. We're doing Super Friends Batman or a 1966 Batman, and it has to be like this. There, there, we were encouraged to do episodes that got into his head, you know, into his psyche, into the psyches of the other characters. Oh man. And uh, that's a very rare thing. Yeah. Do you feel like that's happened or, or is able to happen now? I feel that depends on who is in charge. I know that there are some companies where the focus is on this has got to be, you know, we know we can do a show like that, but we're not doing that show. We need you to bring your talent to do a show for six to 12 year olds and mm-hmm. with a heavy emphasis on boy action and uh, make it very much like this. And so a kid has to know that he's going to see the same show every day. I mean, this is all, it all depends on what the philosophy is. Like, uh, you know, if a boy, 6 to 11, 6 to 12, sits down and sees an action adventure show, there he's going to see his hero in his vehicle fighting these villains doing this that with that familiarity we don't want to we don't want to confound the kids we don't want to scare off the audience we want to give them the same thing every day cuz they're used to that mm-hmm. and that's a valid point i mean there are there are shows that have been very successful doing that and that have that are very well respected well thought of shows that have been on you know on the air in some form or another for 20 30 years However, that was not what we were doing with Batman. We want we felt that the audience could accept a bit more. That it was a big world, a very diverse world, and that a lot of the fun would come out of the exploration of that world. Whether it was Gotham City itself or the characters, uh, in their emotions and what they were about. 
I mean, at least for me, I think it really inspired a love of world building in my own work. Like it really, this is an ensemble episode. Mm -hmm. And like, I really, I feel like the more I talk about this, which happens a lot, uh the more I'm like, oh yeah, I think I, a lot of what I love comes from watching this show. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, for me, it's Batman, the animated series and the Simpsons are like the two shows that like did it for me. It happened at the right time. Um, But this episode, like, yeah, you have like Bullock and was it Boxy? Boxy, you know, Boxy. Boxy uh, Bennett? Boxy Bennett, yeah. He was sort of a, you know, Batman's world is also, you know, it's street hoods and it's and it's criminals. And I always felt, you know, a character like Boxy Bennett, he's there to be, you know, he's not the Joker, but he's maybe not as formidable as like uh, the Falcone, the Falcone the Falcone family or, or some of the, you know, the tough mobsters. He's just, you know, a, a hood with a little operation. Yeah. He's very guys and dolls. And I don't mind in, injecting a little bit of that into Batman's world, a little bit of Damon Runyon, little guy, you know, guys on the wrong side of life, you know, scraping by, um, you know, they're never going to have the atomic bomb that's going to blow up the city. They're never going to be racial ghoul or anything, but they're going to be, you know, Guys, like he's a gonna... gambling ring or something. Yeah, yeah, and they're still on the wrong side of the law, and Batman's going to break them up, and you know they're scared of him. So a lot of those guys were in uh, Mask of the Phantasm, you know, like the the uh, the Chucky Sauls and Sal Valestra, Sal Valestra, and guys like that. So um, you know, and and I, I don't mind uh, putting characters like that in, especially when I was doing the detective comics. I would put in. You know, little, you know, like like hood type characters or underlings and tell the story from their point of view because they all, you know, they all contributed to 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 the big picture. And well, it's fun to get a different perspective of Gotham. You see it so much from the yeah. Batman, Batman's eyes or, you know, at this point, a villain's eyes. But like, what about that hood? Yeah. Who's like not quite making it, has to avoid the Joker because he could get murdered by him. Right, right. You know, and and again, you know, it's like there there are different levels of crime in uh you know in the in the com some of the comics it ranges from super villainy to just those hoods getting by. I, when I did the War on Crime book with Alex Ross, it was very realistic looking crime, very realistic looking, you know, world and uh, and some you know real world problems and um uh it you know and yet Batman feels comfortable in all of them. So you know and, and getting back to Harley Quinn, you know, so. He feels comfortable in her world too, or you know, he's he's not a big stretch to be a part of a Harley Quinn escapade. Let me ask you this: Were there any Harley episodes you thought up or, or wrote or did a treatment for, but never made it? I mean, you got uh, a lot in there. Well, I'm not recalling any right now. I mean, she she kind of came up now and then. You know, like I would get an idea for her, and I'd uh, you know kind of work with it and discard it. But I think pretty much. In, in the run of the show, we got we got to do everything uh, we wanted with her. Um, what about in general? Were there any episodes? I feel like I remember hearing you say something, and maybe this was a Superman episode, but it was like a, a Batmite and Mixius Pitlick. Yeah, I mean, we had uh, we were really under the under our own rule to put Batman in kind of a realistic world, and we felt. Um, we didn't want to do supernatural. We didn't want to do magic. We didn't want to do, you know, ghost stories. Um, we felt as far as we could push it, at least in the initial episodes, was, you know, Rachel Ghoul and the Lazarus Pit and stuff like that. That was as far into the 
fantastic or the supernatural as we got. Even Zatanna, we said, was a stage illusionist, although we kind of left the door open on that, you know, a, a, a little bit. But we didn't want to deal with that. You know, it's like he's such a strong character and he he's such a human character that we wanted to explore that first before we brought in Superman, before we brought in everything else. And we really didn't want to do any Batmite at all, you know, or just, you know, or maybe a passing reference to him or something like that. But once we'd done Superman and we'd established and the look had changed to sort of accommodate Superman's world that we felt like, okay, we've done probably 80 episodes of the real crime stuff. Now we can open it up and do uh, supernatural. We can do mummies. We can do um, uh, magic and, and things like that. So I did have an idea for after we had done Mr. Mixes Pitalik and, and Superman. Um, Alan Burnett and I actually wrote a uh, a direct to video that was never made. Oh, I think man. maybe was it was parceled up here and there. We used some other ideas, but it was um, <clears throat> it was a direct to video and. The last time I, I looked at it, it was sort of it was sort of like Batman's interesting team ups, and the the framework was Batman is off on a mission somewhere, and Robin has been told you know stay in the cave, this is too dangerous, and Robin wants to quit because Batman doesn't take me seriously, and Alfred told him of three times that he had to team up with another um, hero, and and how that worked out. So there was a Batman Superman team up with. Mixes Piddlet and Batmite. Oh man, that was it was a lot of fun. That it was um, super, uh, Bruce Wayne goes to Clark Kent and says, "I think I'm going nuts. Why? Well, I've been having these hallucinations." And he explains what they are, and, he, and Superman says, "You're not, you're not crazy. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a guy. You know, I, I know the guy." And then, it, and it turns out it's not Mixie doing it; it's actually his cousin. You know, which <laughs> we made Batmite his cousin. Who was a Batman fanboy, and then it was just like a big who can outdo each other, and you know they're causing massive destruction, and Superman and Batman are trying to to stop them or outthink them or something. So there was that initially. Uh, that was the that was I guess a big part of that directive video. The other team ups were um, uh, Batman and Zatanna in an actual magic story against Clarion the Witch Boy. Oh man, and. Uh, you know, it, it, it was okay. It was a little weak uh, episode. It was more kind of like, okay, here's a short one. Uh, but it was, it didn't, I wouldn't have made it the same way. I would have dropped that segment out and put in Green Arrow or something doing something else. Because you got magic, magic, magic in mm-hmm. the first one. Then you got more magic in the second one. And then the third one was Batman and Plastic Man. And that and versus the ventriloquist and then it's crime and it's you know fun and and weirdness and everything like that so um but uh that was uh it was fun it was just never produced and i I think little ideas got uh, um cannibalized and and used in other things or split up or just abandoned altogether and and stuff like that it would have it would have been fun but it again it didn't have the coherent quality of a Sub-Zero or Mask of the Phantasm. It really, when you put it all together, as much as I like the individual segments, it really came off across sort of a pot boiler, you know, like we strung three things that weren't uh-huh. episodes into. We had sort of taken the um, set pieces from three different episodes and and, uh, and strung them together. The uh, um, the ventriloquist one was probably the, the closest to... Um, uh, the, the the closest we came actually that was uh, I did wind up borrowing a little bit from that when I wrote Detective Comics and I gave 
Scarface to a female ventriloquist. Oh, that's cool. And so there was like maybe the germ of that in what I did with him later in, in Detective Comics. Oh, because, so that did happen in the direct-to-video. Well, uh, direct-to-video was that he had a gang and there was a a girl in the gang. And um, she she was flirting with Scarface and somehow this was not happening with the ventriloquist. So the ventriloquist was kind of coming on to her and she was encouraging his attention. Uh-huh. And the ventriloquist was the odd man out. And uh, it was very weird. But, I, the, I, you know, we didn't do it. And then I thought later on, you know, why not a girl? Why not play yeah. them like Bonnie and Clyde? And, you know, if we get if they really get rid of Arnold Wesker, as they did in the comics at that time, we can bring in a, you know, a girl who's been badly abused and, and left for dead and and she finds the strong personality in, in Scarface and here I am making the movement of <laughs> and it just added an interesting dynamic to it, you know, meaning no disrespect to um Chuck Dixon, I think, who had created the character originally and and um and uh, the, Scarface's original creators, I just thought, you know, something, you know, play around with it a little bit. Well, what do you think your draw is? You write such great female characters. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked this before, or maybe. Uh, well, thank like, you. It's it, it really like, and they stand out. I feel like to anybody, you know, like they're they're always like badass and like you know strong. Like Harley's funny, which yeah. is cool. I feel like obviously now there's like it's a much more open playing field in comedy, but like mm-hmm. even at that time, like I think there, you know, it, it was a pretty shitty sexist world. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm tired of cartoons where the girl is like, guys, you know, it's right, like, like that's even like Marx Brothers. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Margaret Germont. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you they, they never would put in, a, you know, in the Marx Brothers and some of the later ones there were there was a, a girl who was in trouble who they would come to the aid of. And uh-huh. I never could figure that out because there's always some singer and he's involved with a girl and, you know, Groucho would say, you know, at some point, you know, we got to help those kids out. And it's almost like. Who, who's talking? That's not Groucho saying that, but it was like the a convention of the later movies as they were brought in to service, you know, the the male and female leads or, or co-stars or something. And it always struck me as false. But um, a girl, you know, there was never anybody who really competed with them on that level. And uh, and for a long time, there just wasn't anybody in, in, in comedy. I mean, Lucille Ball and a few others, some stand-ups who were, you know, really, you know, f- funny. And... You know, you to sidetrack a little bit. You look at the, um, you know, you look. You know, people have said, "Oh, well, there were no." You know, the Looney Tunes were sexist. There were no funny female characters. And it's like, well, you know, at that time the convention was that guys took the hits, and it was funny. If you had, you know, for for what humor was at the time, it was very slapstick. And I, I think that if there had been female character, oh, Olive Oil, for instance, was probably the only one. And the way they got gags out of her was not by making her an intrinsically funny personality. It was like, let's stretch her and bash her around like a rubber band right. and everything. She's she's like a human a human bungee cord, you know, in, in most of those cartoons. So, you know, uh, when a, a character like Harley comes along, it's funny that her personality is funny, not just, you know, the, the thing she does. And uh, I just felt like, you know, in, in a lot of cartoons, you've got, the party guy is always going, whoa, what? No. And then you've got um, the emo guy who's brilliant and I'm going to figure out the computer. And then you've got the insecure guy. Oh, should, should we be doing this? And then you've got the girl who's 
guys. Right, like voice of reason. Guys. I know fun. <laughs> okay, guys. And then it's like the foursome. And you could make them into turtles. You can make them into canaries. You can make them into, you know, singing toasters or whatever. Uh, it's just like they... It's a, the personalities are always the same. So it's like, and, and if you've got a female lead, it's got to be an all female world, like, you know, gem or something like that. Or, you know, I don't, again, you know, people, there are a lot of people out there working hard. I don't necessarily mean to take, you know, stabs at individuals. It's just that those shows with really compelling leads, male or female are, are, are few and far between. And, um, so when you get something that broadens the personality a little bit, that adds a little more than, than is usually seen. I think people gravitate, you know, a lot to those characters. I mean, you know, a good example is Frozen. They're, they're two two sisters who are, you know, sometimes contentious, but they care about a lot about each other. They, you know, they're they're funny, and uh, even when when one is losing control of her powers, there's still a person there. You know, her sister is 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 very funny, and yet she's trying to, you know, help her sister. And I think there's no mystery that that's the highest grossing cartoon ever because people really relate to that. And when I go in to write a show, I like taking those characters the same way. And sometimes the edict is, you know, not, not so much. Not, you know, just action adventure. A hmm. little bit of comedy, but not, you know. You know, and in order to make those characters vibrant, you have to feature them. You have to make the, you know, you have to do a separate story about them. Robin worked in our series because we did solo Robin stories. So. Yeah, Robin's Reckoning was great. Oh, too. it's awesome. You know, Two-Face, you know. The emphasis was on him. He, he's a tragic character. He's terrific, you know. And so when you see those episodes, and when you when it came up, like okay, let's do a Two Face story. It's like, how do we make it as good as you know Two Face? Can we do it? Can we uh, add more to him? Can we give him another dimension rather than have him just hung up on the number two and uh, the flip of the coin and everything? Well, and it's all the more interesting, like, when you see them pop up. I mean, luckily, this universe had such a great run. Yeah. Like, you'd see Clayface show up in Justice League. Yeah. He doesn't really do that much other than fight people, but I remember being very excited because, like, there's a backstory and a tragedy to Clayface in the animated series. And, you know, the one bit that they do have is he's like, why won't you let me just, like, yeah. heal myself? You yeah. Know, I think he was, like, trying to rob a chemical, like, a vat yeah. of chemicals in, like, a two-parter in, like, the second second season of Justice League mm-hmm. uh, that was like, oh, this is so great to see this character come back. And like, there's only a little bit of emotional business, but, but it, it checks out. Well, you know, you had the same people, you know, a lot of the same people were involved in doing those shows. So there's a continuity of, of, um, you know, character. And, you know, we did this with Clayface way back when. So let's do it. Uh, let, let, let's um, add a little bit to it to here. I wrote something recently which, you know, harkens back to something that, you know, the more astute people watching some of our earlier shows will say, well, they sort of went to that, they sort of did that in another, uh, another episode. But this takes place before that incident. I can't really talk about it because we can't, I can't really mention anything. But I have done things that have tapped into the continuity of other things. Even now I'm still doing it. Um, because I want to be respectful of things that have gone before, and I don't want to invalidate anything if we're looking at this as a as a huge whole. It's sort of like the way they do in the comic books, where maybe in little things have been changed here and there, but sort of like the big picture is sort of like one ongoing story. And, um, you know, it's, it's really important when you've got people who really care about these characters, you know, doing it. I mean, it's just, you know, in, in a situation where a big corporation owns the characters, it's, okay, we're doing this show, we're canceling the show, everybody else is... 
fired or you're off on another show, we're going to bring in a totally new crew to do the show from a new point, you know, where we still want to use the same models, but don't be beholden to any of the old continuity. Just do it new because we're appealing to a new demographic of, of new kids. So, but, you know, you have people who really do care about the shows and who have a lot of affection for these characters and they've been allowed to continue over the years. So, you know, God bless, uh, you know, to a large part, Alan Burnett for that because he's the one who keeps all this stuff in his mind, I think, yeah. you know, as far story-wise, as far as that goes, is that he's the one that, you know, really has been there all this time and he's the one who, you know, is seeing it through. And, you know, there are changes here and there and, and things like that, but he's, um, you know, he's the one who kind of keeps it all in place. Well, thanks for talking Harley with me sure, and beyond. Sure. Well, that's it. That's another episode. Thanks for listening, buddies. Follow the podcast on Twitter at BTAS Podcast and myself at Hey Justin. Again, I produce the show by myself, so if you're feeling any sort of generous, you can donate to keep things running at www.btaspodcast.com. Any amount helps. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast, and thank you to Paul Gussar for sound engineering this episode. One last thanks to Cheyenne Curtis and Paul Dini for being such great guests. Uh, I really enjoyed sitting down with them. Lastly, big ups to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who was so excited we got Paul Dini again that he shouted... Agreed, Tori Malatia. Paul is the best. All right, guys, have a happy Thanksgiving if you're listening in the States, and it happens to be the week this is released, and a happy whatever is going on this week in your life if you're not. I'll be back in a couple of weeks for another incredibly nerdy installment of Batman the Animated Podcast.